Hello, everyone. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of Art Lives. My name is Elizabeth De La Mater, and on this podcast, I talk with artists one-on-one about their art, their lives, and how they navigate the world. This episode features Li Xuan Tzu. She is an arts educator and researcher whose interests lie at the intersection of arts and leadership. In this episode, Li Xuan tells us about how she uses art to give students leadership and stress coping skills. She also talks about how making art can give us a place to pause, recalibrate, and process our emotions. Here is Li Xuan Tzu. In Taiwan, um, you know, I always learned art since I was like seven years old because my classroom teacher happened to be an art teacher. So I asked my parent, like, "Hey, uh, I, I, I know, like, I can go to this her studio after class to learn drawing." So my parents they are very kind, so they sent me to drawing. So that was the first time that I have the experience with the arts, right? And then although later uh, my parents are generous again to send me to a ballet lesson and to the piano lessons. So I, um, I had those early engagement in the art. So I'm always interested in the arts and then very fascinated by those artistic creation. When I go to like college and I went to this Department of Fine Arts in National Taiwan Normal University. So that is for creating teachers. Uh-huh. And then when I was like more trained in the arts, then one day, I think in a bookstore, I see this book called like um, Art Management and Arts Administration. Mm. So I picked it up and I started reading. I ended up buying that book because I feel like in my whole life, you know, from elementary school, to middle school, high school, college, because I'm always in this art program, you know, in academic program at schools, but no one ever talk about management administration in the arts. Or maybe that training at the school, you know, is not supposed to focus on management administration, but then just in my mind, this is like interesting combination. Okay. And then, so I started reading, and then later I also uh, read some of the leadership book in business because it's such a big topic in business. So then I was like, people talk about leadership and management a lot in business, but people don't really talk about this concept, you know, leadership as a concept in the art. But back then, as an undergrad student, I, it, it was just like a thought because I never thought I would get a PhD and I would do a, you know, a research of, of my own. Oh. So that was like this little tiny thought that I had. And I went on master and focused on art education. And then um, like long and short, um, basically I convinced my parents 
for let me come to the state to get a graduate degree. So okay. while the time that they say, okay, you can go, I already got my master's degree. So I said, okay, so now I'll just go for my doctorate. So it was an accident. But then when I started my uh, PhD, and then uh, the way down like third year, I have to kind of pick my topic. Okay. And I was like, oh, what should I do? Because you have to do something that you can bridge the gaps of knowledge in the field. Yes. And then, so I talked to my advisor and I said, you know what? I really interested in bringing the concept of leadership in the arts because I have not seen a lot of people or, you know, scholar or literature that discussing how the concept of the leadership is unpacked in art education, which is my field of study. And my advisor say, yeah, this is a very new, innovative topic. Nobody really died very deep before. So what's your thought? And then the, my first thought is, because my advisor um, is a very influential scholar in the field of art education, and the way that I see her creating a new theory for the field and how uh, you know she interact with other influential scholars in the field and try to kind of like influence or mold the field forward by publication, conference lectures, or, you know, the different scholarly activity. Mm-hmm. And I am very drawn into that intangible impact because it's not the impact that is so concrete, it's so clear. But then over time, you know, how you can use all those scholarly work and activity to move the field forward, I find that particular part, you know, it's, it's abstract, but it's very important for me. Sure. So I told her, I said, you know, I actually want to study our educators' behavior. Uh-huh. So when they have a position as leaders in different type of our education or arts organization or context, what kind of leadership behavior those our educators have that are unique or that are very relevant to their our experiences? Because there's very little that we understand about leadership behaviors and our experiences. So then um, for my doctoral research, I ended up doing, um, like I, I kind of investigating different leadership behavior of our educator in three metropolitan area in the states. So in New York, Chicago, and San Francisco. So I picked total 26 uh, leaders in arts organization in the community. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so I I talked to them and then I I visit many of the sites, not all the sites, but I make the visit for those three cities. I see the size. Sometimes I observe them, uh, you know, facilitate a meeting or hosting an event. So basically that dissertation, my doctoral research, was the very beginning element that proved that this is the thing that I can do. And this is an idea that I can continue to expand. And then so through that research process, you know, one of the things that I really like is that they say, because they have a lot of art experiences before, you know, as a leader, they are also art educator. So a lot of them, they are coming from the background 
it is very similar as mine. So we are coming from the fine art background. And then eventually, because certain opportunity, we become educators or we become administrators. So then we have to switch our gear, trying to bridge our art experiences in the past into this more organizational-based work. Right. And then one of the things that I really like, one of the um, you know research participants say that because I used to paint a lot, so I did oil painting. Oh, yeah. When you look at the oil painting for so long, and then sometimes you generate different ideas as you go, mm-hmm. or sometimes you look far, or sometimes you look close, and then when you tr- finally you know, finish your work, I always find that my finished work is so different from the work that I created in my sketchbook, you know, my draft. And then he said, because I always enjoy my finished work more than my draft. So I know in the process of making a lot of time, I was like, should I do this? It's not what I planned, but it might not, you know, end up with the things that I wanted. But then because he said, he realized a lot of time that the, the finished product is always better than originally planned. So he learned how to embrace ambiguity in his drawing painting processes because he allowed himself to one, take risk and two, uh, just go with a little uncertainty to help him embrace this finished product that is not as planned. So when he became this executive director in this organization in New York, and then he said, it kind of helped him to become a very good listener because he said, if I am open to different perspective in the process of organizing an event or to you know, structure a curriculum uh, or like a camp for student. If I listen and I get more perspective, and I usually end up with a much better program. So it's kind of parallel to our making process, in which I find fascinating because I make art for a long time in my life, but now I also try to do the same thing. So now I'm art educator, but I try to kind of interpret or to apply those visual arts and those artistic creation into you know educational work that I'm doing. So then for this arts and leadership class that I'm teaching, originally I was like, I did this arts and leadership research for my dissertation, which is, doc- which is a doctoral level research work. And then um, I don't have graduate student at this moment. So I'm like, huh, maybe I could create a general education class that can allow all the undergrad students from different departments to engage in the arts and to learn how artists you know, the creativity processes are in trying to kind of integrate those arts-based element in their discipline. And so that's why that was the the thought of creating this class, Arts and Leadership. Amazing. <laughs> that's, that's one, it's so cool because some people, 
uh, once they get uh, very involved in a in a study topic or a dissertation topic, they do not then know how to. Um, well, I want to say back out of it, but they don't know how to expand it um, for uh, younger students. Then again, they they've such a narrow focus. They don't know how to then open it back up. And um, what I saw uh, of how you did that last semester and how you do that for your students is so valuable because, um, as you said, and as we've seen, arts artists who become administrators bring so many unique tools mm -hmm. that if we can get students to be learning them when they're younger, they will graduate um, with uh, unparalleled experience and, and a bigger uh, tool belt. And, and to, it, that's exactly, those are the leaders of the future that we need. Um, mm -hmm. We need people who are very, very resourceful to help us out. <laughs> right. And then also, I think for that class, you, you brought a very interesting point is that how we can, you know, kind of like modify those very, you know, in-depth, narrow knowledge to this particular field, open to this very... Um, I don't know, open and then accessible to yeah. all those undergraduate students who might not have a lot of art experience before. So what I told students is that you don't have to be artists to understand how artists think. But then through this class, you will do, you will, I will help you engage in the art, but you don't have to become like mastery in this particular art form. But I want you to learn to observe and to kind of, kind of understand all the creative processes other artists have so you can try to comprehend, okay, this is how artists create their work and that's how artists encounter the problem. And so maybe that might give you some entry point to kind of give your own discipline or your own coursework or own life problem a parallel uh, mindset so then they don't have to spend three years, five years to be very good at doing a drawing, for example. But then they can start to draw and then they can, you know, by guidance, they can engage themselves in this progressive processes. So in my um, class last semester, because we switch online, so I mentioned earlier that they have to do this sketch noting. Okay, so they, right, so they did the notes by drawing, which, uh, that's what I saw, right? They drew, they took notes by making drawings, which was beautiful. <laughs> so they have to listen, either listen to a lecture and then create a sketch noting, or they have to follow the prompt that I gave them. So basically in the beginning, what they have to do is to identify the the top five strengths that they have. Oh, okay. So because this is arts and leadership, so that I want them to help themselves, one, identify their leadership quality, and two, to kind of like empower their personal development with 
the good quality that they have. So one is about recognition, one is about application. Cool. So they have to kind of like ask themselves and analyze all the different possibility about their skill and they have to choose the top five. So sometimes people, like some students, they pick, for example, like positivity. Mm-hmm. Some people, they pick like competition. So they pick those five strengths that they, they are very good at. And then why I ask them to pick strength instead of strength and weakness, because I want to make them feel empowered because everybody, if you know what you are very good at, and I think you have more opportunity to get even better because you, you already generate that high level of confidence. So I wanted to recognize, okay, those are your top five like skills or the top five things that you are very good at. So what they have to do, they have to identify five um, supporting elements to tell me why positivity is something you are good at. So they have to reflect on their experiences in the past and give you the give me the evidence. And along with their notes, they have to start to draw and include some visual. And I said, you don't have to draw like a human face, but then you can create some patterns, some designs or some geometrical shape to kind of increase the, you know, to make your sketch note more visually pleasant. And then, so after they have those five major strengths identified, later the semester, and then we, I kind of encourage them to think about what is this transformational experience that you have? So it's a little bit deeper than just identify what you are good at. You have to think in the past, what kind of value that you value and then how you are going to, how you overcame those obstacles and then you achieve this particular things that you want to achieve. And for example, one of the students, uh, she used this example of dealing with stress. So she thinks dealing with stress for her is a transformational experience and learning for her because she said in the beginning, whenever she had this such a, the very intense, like depression, she doesn't know how to deal with it. So usually she collapse. But then after like different practice of counseling or self-heal, self-care and, you know, building this support system from people around her. And then she start to identify, okay, when I have this very intensive depression or very intensive negative emotion, I have to help myself, pull myself back to kind of sit down and think about how I can help myself heal. And then I go out to reach to, no matter it's individuals or any kind of resources that can help me go through this, you know, like foggy stage. And finally, she can settle down and kind of bring herself back to the normal. So she used this water uh, transformation. So, you know, water, when you start to build the water more and more, you're not in the sky, and then the cloud become heavier and become darker in color. Sure. And when the cloud holds like way too much weight of those 
uh, water humidity and it drops. So the, when the water drops, that is the time that she collapsed because it's so much stress, so much depressed emotion that she couldn't breathe. And after the rain drops and then, you know, things get a little bit better because you have less weight on your shoulder and eventually, you know, the sun comes back out and then you go back to the regular normal. But it doesn't mean it won't rain again. It will rain again. But then because she continued to practice the cycle, so whenever it's going to rain and then she will prepare herself better. So I asked them to kind of like, I try to empower students to think about what you are good at. So it's more about positive, like reinforcement. And, and you're preparing them, uh, you're reminding them of what they already can do and helping them prepare uh, for the future. We've or a lot of teachers have talked about um, maybe college is a way of preparing students to, to get through hard times in the future. And this sounds exactly like you're doing that. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, because this is another, this concept uh, we, we discussed before is about sustainability. Sustainability. Right? Because... I mean, there are many different angles that we can discuss sustainability. And oftentimes we hear like how much water we can save and how can we reduce the waste that we have generate in everyday life. But for me, because I, I have, you know, my work has been surrounded in the arts and leadership. So I think those two things, so arts and leadership, it, it has this interdisciplinary nature right? So every discipline, every area, uh, if you can allow, there are rooms, the space for arts and leadership to be interact with that particular uh, content that you are talking about. And then so for the sustainability, I think it's the same thing. I think it's interdisciplinary. Every single field, one, like you can think about how your field can contribute to sustainability in the society or in the globe. And two, you can think about like professionally how a student, like how student can sustain their career or sustain their success as they move forward, you know, post-college. So for me, I take sustainability more like how students can learn good skills that they remember and they can apply to their professional work and then when they graduate, do they have ability or do they have the skills to help them success, even though the society is constantly changing? So that's why I think leadership kind of like bring that personal development into the class along with the art forms that we exploring, because the ultimate goal is that I want you to become successful. I want you to become leader. When the opportunity comes, I hope that you can influence more people because you have so many talent and so many skills that you are good at. So you should continue to empower yourself, even though the other people surround you, if they don't really know what you are good at, but then you need to advocate for yourself. So you have to build this platform or stage almost for yourself to thrive. So I think this is a very internal skill, but then if student can learn how to 
lift themselves up through some of the activity in my class, and I would be very grateful and happy and satisfied. Wow. Build a platform for yourself to lift up. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. And I love and we all need that, right? We do. And I love the idea of sustainability as sustainability of materials and of the earth, but also of ourselves and our skills and our success and our uh, health. And that's a big word. That is a wonderful word. So, okay, when a student arrives, or in, I guess this year, when they get your syllabus and they look at it online for the first time, uh, is all of this in your first syllabus or do you introduce these things gradually uh, or how, how do you present it at first? I tend to give a very general description in my syllabus because usually no matter which class, I mean, for example, this leadership class that I'm teaching, because a lot of the content that I cover in arts and leadership is intangible. Sure. So I think if I kind of give them this all the detailed description in the syllabus, and it, I think it will sound too philosophical yes. <laughs> for a lot of students because that they will be a little hesitant with that. Is this what I really want to get myself into or this is really the conversation I want to have? So then in the syllabus, I try to keep it simple. Right. So I just say in this class, um, I would design, I try to design different part of activity that involve arts and leadership. So you can understand uh, other people's creative processes and then how they build their own creativity and imagination in which in turn, I want them to reflect on their own talents in the arts and how they can transform that understanding into their leadership quality. So it remains quite general, but then give them a general sense about what they will be learning. Yeah. But then my class is built on this spiral curriculum so it's always start with like very basic fun fundamental element and then continue at the very end it's the ultimate goal that i want you to achieve so i think that ultimate goal just need a lot of building blocks if i told you in the beginning probably students probably are not receiving the same way as when they receive at the towards the end of the semester yeah which is why you're a good educator. <laughs> Thank you. And then I also feel like um, if students, they, they can see that. So say at the end of semester, I want you to recognize how you can help yourself transform your experiences and try to remain that very high energy for your self-development. I think in the beginning of semester, it's very hard for them to see that because um, you ha they have not experienced this dynamic of our discussion. Yes. 
sort of thing. I want them to see that towards the end, but then along the way, I want them to see different things, but then they are all connected together. So one of the best feedbacks that I receive from students is that um, towards the end of the class, and I realize all the things that we have learned in this semester are connected together <laughs> because they cannot be in the beginning but this is how I design my class because I don't want them to do a lot of random practices but then for my and I have to spend a lot of time as arts and leadership they are both it could be very abstract to teach yes. and especially we don't have a lot of hands-on this is not lab this is more like a general education class so then um, to help them to build this concrete understanding and continue to enhance that understanding to the next level. It's always the things I'm thinking in my mind, like how can I push the next step and can students get it? And how can I guide students to unpack those, you know, connectiveness in my class? So it's, it's a fun challenge. Wow. I had a student uh, who was just taking instrument lessons with me. Um, he had just started and about on the fourth week or so, let, this was about a year ago, he said, I just figured out that you are telling me things in a certain order. <laughs> okay, yeah. You, the, you are telling me something different this week than last week. And I said, yes, this is called pedagogy. There mm -hmm. is a certain order of information that a teacher gives to be successful, to help you learn. Right. Um, he was amazed. But what you are doing, your pedagogy, this is so complex to make it <laughs> And I'm, I'm so impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I think the other thing, because arts and leadership, this class is, is for all the students from different departments. They are all freshmen. Yeah. And then my, um, my art education student, and then other education majors that I teach. So for art education, I teach them how to become an art teacher. For the other education majors, such as elementary education, special education, or uh, secondary education, those students, um, they take my class to learn how to integrate art in like history, science, and math. So they know some basic elements of art and its impact, and then so we, um, go through different methods so they can apply those in multiple classrooms. So the way that I teach, it's almost like I want to model how we can build progressive learning for students. So instead of saying, okay, this is the spiral curriculum model, you have to do progressive objective and then you have to build like different assessment tools. And I, I did it. And then so usually the first project for those education majors. So I will have, so say I have like three beginning activity and I have a project and I follow uh, with like, so say three steps critique. So at the end of the project, students, they are already, you know, they already learn from all those different steps. And then now I teach them, okay, this is how you build your curriculum. You need to have objective assessment and you need to have some progressive activity. So then I will say, okay, since day one, what did we do? So after this three activity, 
what project did we do? How do I guide you to do this art project? And what kind of critique question did I create for you? So then they will realize what they experience is a way that you can frame your curriculum because they are going to become a teacher. But at the end, I think we have such an amazing student that they can create an outstanding curriculum on their own. So then this is not the only way that you can do the curriculum. However, you need to inspire progressive learning. That is not going to change. So you've got to model the way that you teach and to make sure they are put in the order, like you said, put in the order in a mindful way so you can amplify how much student can learn through your teaching in your classroom. So then I think, again, for me, that's why I don't like to teach the same project over and over again, because I always learn there's a little hiccup here and little like minor mistake there, or sometimes we have like major disappointment in the class. So then we refine those and hopefully next time we'll be more um, like we'll be flowing better or the sequence will work more effectively. Gave me feedback that they think it's very helpful because um, they see not just the final product, but also I think they they learn better when you tell them, this is my concept, but yet I, I kind of like struggle with myself about how to determine this next step. So then when they are doing their own, it kind of like almost encourages them to think the similar question to kind of frame their own work. Uh-huh. Yeah. What kind of art? So you, you said you have them... Um do their sketch notes. What other kinds of art do you have non-art majors do? Oh, so one of the projects that I created, um, I really enjoy seeing students do that, is this called social engagement project. You know, a lot of like art classes, they use this uh, mandala or mandala type of circular design. And then, so I think couple semesters back, I was like, I'm always fascinated by those visual design, you know, those uh, symmetrical, geometrical circular design. And then so for my non-R majors, this is for the class for my uh, education major class. So they don't have a lot of art experiences before. Maybe some student, they, they enjoy their drawing class in the past, but sometimes they, they don't have much experiences. So I, I need to assume that they don't know much about art. Otherwise, I will create a project that is very stressful. So then for that, I say, okay, everybody need to create this circular design. Okay. And then you have to decide your element, your design in this circle. But what you have to do, because it's the interdisciplinary project. So it's combine the visual arts, the visual elements into a social issue that they care about because they are going to become an educator. So I want them to stay current about, you know, the the external world. So each of them, they have to pick one social issue that they care about. It could be pollution, 
It could be global warming, or it could be death penalty. It could be um, sex trafficking, or it could be depression or racism. So I designed like different brainstorming activity for students to think about, okay, what do I care about? And then why do I care about? Which aspect of the you know, social issue that I want my student to know, or I want myself as an educator to be able to teach my student a positive mindset. So they pick the social uh, issues. Mm -hmm. So for example, if this student pick pollution, and then they have to analyze, you know, internally, why do I care about this? And what kind of concept that I want to include in my circle? So then they might say, you know, all oh, the cars has a lot of polluted air, or they can say um, how, um, you know, however pollute, pollution related issue that they have to come up with, then they have to pick all the element that they can draw. I say with your ability, you only pick what you can draw. You are not picking the item that you have to practice like a hundred hours. Yeah. <laughs> and then so they have like a you know the, the sketchbook. So they have to kind of like do the self-study. Sure. Can I draw a car? Can I draw a cloud with all the polluted gray uh, shade? So then they have this 10 element that they already know they are good at because they do the practice, right? And then so I say, okay, now we are going to use your 10 element to create your circular design. Okay. And then I have some very basic criteria such as you have to include symmetrical design. So students, they can repeat they can divide their circle into multiple layers, multiple sections, and then also they have to respond those items to each other in a circle. Right. And okay. then so at the end, the, the project you can imagine, oh, I'm happy to share those with you. They are fascinating. So each student create a circle. It's complex in the structure, and everybody pick different issue that they care about. And even though, so say I have two students, they both pick depression. Yes. And, but their circle will look like totally different because how they unpack the issue depression or how they cope with depression is different. Absolutely. And then, um, so I think through the project, you know, it's an art project, but also it kind of like inspired them to think about how I can be an advocate for, for our society. Yes. And usually, I think is a, why I love this project is that the people who pick pollution is because they care about how much polluted air we have in our everyday life. The, the student who pick depression or mental health, and usually that means they had a very difficult or have very uh, obvious experience in the past about this particular issue. So through that arm making process, that was my intention, want them to feel personal when they are doing the drawing and doing the designing process. Because again, I already know like drawing is not the most common things that they 
do. So I want to have that personal connection. So they bring the passion on the paper that they are creating. That, that sounds, I bet those are very beautiful and powerful. Yeah, I like those. When you when I put those uh, circles on the display, wow. it's almost like you have all those very, I don't know, I would say they are passionate and they are hopeful. So many caring young individuals and they are going to the field of teaching. Wonderful. Do you have any students who um, tell you things like, oh, I'm, I'm really afraid, I, I don't know how to do this, or I'm not very good at this at first? Or do they die? Right. I have, yeah, I have a lot of students come and say, I don't know, I don't know how to draw, I, I never make art before. So I don't know if I'm getting myself into this class. And then because I, because when I taught uh, undergrad classes in Illinois and here, it just, you constantly have students who are telling you that for the day one. And then, so now when I start my day one of those not our major, I have to give a talk about, you don't have to be artist to take this class. Oh. And I'll go on and on and tell them the rationale, like why you don't have to be good at art. And then I, like, I have to tell them, okay, you don't have to be artist to be in this class. And you don't have to be good at art to be successful in this class. And of course, you don't want to know if I'm not good at art, can I pass this class? Of course you can pass as long as you. <laughs> complete those assignments, but then not all the assignment, like none of the assignment would judge how good you are in drawing because you are not our major and that is not our major yes. uh, purpose in my class. But actually art is like a vehicle to kind of like bridge your learning. It's a different way that to engage yourself and to help you to bridge your interdisciplinary experience into the classroom yeah um i mean the thing with the neat thing and maybe the sad thing is that most students most people in the u.s do draw when they're little it's just that they mm -hmm. i mean is that how it is in taiwan people do students reach a point where they say oh i'm not good and they stop or um are, are students uh, judgmental the same way in Taiwan? Mm. I think a lot of my friends, we learned piano when we were little, usually like girls. Okay. I'm not, I'm sure, I'm not sure in this day, but in Taiwan, a lot of like girls, they learn piano when they were younger. And then, uh, I, when I was little though, I didn't have a lot of my peers they learn drawing or they learn the arts. I think because, you know, I, I'm always grateful that my parents sent me to that drawing studio when I asked them to, because in Taiwan, we still have this, you know, you know, social mindset about being an artist might not be the the best career to 
make you money or you might be starving. So it still had this, it, it, it could be a mindset, it could be a stereotype, but then my parents never say, no, don't learn art, it's not going to work. Lucky for so you. then, so that's why I'm grateful. I, you know, I learned how to dance, I learned how to play piano, I learned how to draw when I was in elementary school. So it, it was an important part of my childhood. And then, so that's why I think now for the college student, you know, it's a totally different cultural background. I don't know how much our experience that you have, but because I, when I was a little, I was inspired. And then I think art create many space mm-hmm. or like space for ourselves. You know, that space is so private and it could be intimate too. So you have a space just belong to yourself that can, hmm, that can kind of like handle or that can take your frustration, take your excitement and take your vulnerability. So a lot of you can be accepted in that space that you create through art. Because I think because I engaged myself in the art since I was little, so I enjoy that personal space. So I can always go into like a piece of paper and have a pen and I can just be there and feel content. That's beautiful. But then I don't know if I answer your original question. I think I got sidetracked. Doesn't matter. <laughs> that's good. Beautiful. <laughs> that's uh, that's really wonderful. Um, when that you can create your own personal space, you can be vulnerable in and end up mm-hmm. being. Do you have? You mentioned a, a, a pen and paper. So is for drawing? Is that is that your favorite thing? Do you have a favorite way of creating art? I think right now, I think since I kind of like shifted my fine arts uh, academic work into art education, I think now I also see my publication, you know, in the written work yes. as my artwork, but then this is kind of like early work, early type of artwork for me. So I still need time to polish this particular medium, which is writing. Yes. But then now, even though uh, I don't make as much art as before, I still, I mean, the most natural and spontaneous way that I want to engage myself in art, yes, is with a pencil or the pen with a piece of paper because drawing was the very first thing that I did, you know, when I was seven. So then I continue to do drawing since, you know, seven all the way to like all those time. So that is the most familiar language, like visual language that I, I like. So whenever I, I have time and I go back to drawing, However, interestingly, I think starting from like four or five years ago when I was doing my uh, PhD and I had the opportunity to learn how to sew with the sewing machine. Oh, yes. 
Yeah, so that was the time that I was like, oh, there are so many great patterns, you know, in those fabric. And then so I learned how to use the sewing machine. And then I started hunting those beautiful fabrics. And I never um, did any arts with fabric before. Because in Taiwan, we are so geared towards standardized testing, even in visual arts. So it sounds a little ridiculous, but go to the middle school, high school, and you know the college, all those art program. You have to go in the room, have the standardized testing for sketching, for painting, watercolor, for, for Chinese painting, Chinese calligraphy. So there wasn't many opportunity for me to kind of slide in this interested of fabric back then under that particular educational context. So then about four or five years ago, and I was like, oh, that is so cool. So I started to, you know, kind of like teach myself and watch a lot of YouTube video about how people create a quilt. So I started to do the quilting or easy sewing. And later, I think in the recent two years, I started to make garment, you know, make clothes. Yeah. yeah. And I think this Getting into this, you know, this area of sewing or like designing with fabric is a new experience for me because I had those like drawing and painting designing experience before. And now in my hand, I have different kind of medium, which is not familiar. But then I want to kind of apply my knowledge in the art into this new medium. So sometimes I try to manipulate with the fabric, but again, like fabric for me is still a newer, you know, like just like when we tell story, uh, now we make art. So like fabric is like a new language for me. So I can't really tell a fascinating story because I'm still trying to get along with this particular medium. But then, you know, like language, once I learn English in a way that I can express my own feelings and I can, it's a different level of language learning. So now fabric is my new medium. So hopefully I can continue to engage myself with those fabric and then to uh, one day can be very flexible of using the fabric as a way to create art as a pencil and a piece of paper. We are zooming via video, and so right now I'm looking at the quilt that you made, which is yeah, it's truly beautiful. I know that you think it's it's uh, sort of a beginner art for you, but I think it is absolutely stunning. So I think so you think that you are actually advanced in your knowledge. <laughs> that those works of art will be truly sophisticated. You know, thank you. And then I'm actually in the process of creating my next quilt. Oh. And then so I'm kind of like manipulating this idea of hasagon. So I create different, like a lot of little hasagon and then different sizes. Yeah. So although like traditional quilt, like it's solid piece. But then now I create those like pieces of hesicon and I want to like sew them together, but then not 
completely fill the in-between space. Oh. So when I hand the quilt, you can actually see through from those in-between space. And when the hands are gone, they kind of build around each other, you can create a star in between, like different kind of star. So the negative space in between the hexagons is a star. Right. Wow. And then, <laughs> but, but I have not, I, I have those hexagon pieces. I continue to kind of like, because each hexagon has the frame and then the internal fabric. Yeah. So I try to create as many hexagons so I have enough pieces. So when I put them in the large pieces, I can see the bigger picture about, you know, the, the, the you know, composition, like how I arrange those things and how I want people to see maybe a, a corner, it will be all like blue and in green and the other side it will be like bright orange and you i don't know but i'm kind of excited and i actually want to do the paper cutting in between those negative space but then again i'm newer to the sewing so i don't know what is the best way to kind of sew those paper with the fabric but i'm kind of experimenting right now but i i'll keep you posted oh wow I like the way you talk about the art as language. Um, I think that's really wonderful. And I think that that, um, because yeah, of course you're expressing yourself with your art. And uh, that's why I think art is really helpful um, right now and anytime that society is having a big problem. And I think that it's uh, probably extra helpful to students um, during this pandemic, they're really lucky to have you. You know, I think it's almost like music. So when, when my art teacher, when I was little, our teacher told me, you know, when you engage in the art, it takes a little time. Wow. So when you are standing in front of artwork, you got to look and you might see different part of the work. But then music gives you the instant engagement because you hear the music right away. Huh. And then, so I'm not a music person, so I can't really speak to that part. But I think for art, without words or without interpretation, it already gives the audience power or a, like opportunity to do the self, you know, even self-examination or interpretation of what they see. And then so like an image, so for example, it, image doesn't have to be an artwork. So say since we have like many race-related conflict lately, uh -huh. when you see those videos, when you see those images online, it gives you a very strong reaction right away. Yes. So visual has that power to engage you without telling you a word. True. And so that's why I think one, it has this instant impact when you're trying to convey messages. Yes. So that's why if we, we are able to convey our messages through some kind of art forms, and it might be able to generate different conversation compared to you just telling people with words what you have to think or how you have to interpret the situation. Yeah. So I have one more question for you. Mm -hmm. 
that is, why is art important to us now? Mm, yeah, that's a big question. Yeah, I think it's, I think all the big questions that we are asked or we have in our life, it kind of really push us to constantly thinking so we can have the evolving answer as we grow with our experiences. I think, I think, you know, 2020 is such a unusual year yes. that kind of like creates so many challenges for every single individual. And then, so like I mentioned earlier, I value art for my, I mean, from my personal perspective, because art give me a space that I can go to whenever I need. So it's, nobody has to force me to go into that space. But then I think it could be any kind of art forms or any kind of uh, creation. If you can be, um, if you can allow yourself to go into the space that you know is very safe and is very embracing, and I think that is a good space to create a self-support for yourself. So for me, whenever I need or whenever I feel um, like not comfortable, frustrated, or I have negativity that I want to go somewhere to release that, and I always find art is a good space for me, and I have ability to create that space. And then, so I think in right now we have you know, we are almost encountered a lot of instance satisfaction culture around us, right? So a lot of time people will like, will feel very upsetting or feel why other people have such a good life. Look at who social media and look at why everybody has a good life and I have such a sad life, right? So then I think because there are so many instance satisfaction or this kind of culture around us and it gives a lot of space for comparison yes. and then when we compare ourselves to others it's very hard not to see you know those not so pretty aspect of our life yes. so then I think right now because it's such a fast-pacing society so I mentioned that vulnerability for me it's a, such a key things that we need to learn how to support ourselves through because vulnerability you know such you know also like you know like mental health all the mental health mental illness or your depression those very deep very intangible but it's a very painful side of your emotion or yourself if you can help to build like this support system, I think it's very hard to go through. So I think, I mean, everybody's different. Everybody can build their support system in different ways. So like some people will always go to their comfortable group or their best people to talk to so they feel healed. And some people might meditate. And some people might play piano. So everybody have different way. But I think for me, I created such a quiet space and just belong to myself that I can share all kind of me with that particular space. 
and also I have that um, I have that piece of artwork at the end that not just show this visual artwork but also is a representation of you know my experience my strength or even is a representation of a particular stage of my life yeah so that's why i think that our carry a lot of experience forward with us that's why i think it's important for me so that's why in my class when i'm have chance to kind of advocate for the art for other people and for this context students since I really want to empower them in my class, no matter they become an educator, you know, at K-12 classroom, or they become, you know, the medical professional, or they become like a businessman, they will have to, you know, what I said before, you, they, they will have to help themselves grow and lift themselves up. Yeah. So I think art is a way to do that. And then I show them how, I approach this and then so hopefully they will also have you know this sensitivity about how art can help you to heal help you to grow or help you to have more conversation with yourself which sometimes is very hard as we our life is kind of bombarded with so many external stimulation yeah it helps us process it helps us process and I really I, I love the part where it's you pointed out that it's a, a a memento and it's a representation of what we've gone through which is so important sometimes people go through things and they 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 don't have a way to to process it or to describe it or to and and now I can't even say what you just said. That's fine because you just said it. <laughs> but then I think that is also the other thing. I think for me, R help me to pause. To pause. Yeah. yeah. Because as I said, I think that space for me, not just is very unique, intimate, and then very embracing, but also when you are engaged in the art experience that is the time just for you right so and you kind of have a very fine boundary between the internal and the external so you can give yourself a break and then so it's just like okay when I'm grading my students work I give them feedback I do the best I can and then if I jump into my sewing machine station and I have a different world. So I draw the boundary. So I think art also help me to kind of divide different aspects of my life. Yeah. And so because sometimes the external can be very complicated, but when you are um, coping whatever things that you need to cope with with yourself, it's more quiet. And then it's simpler in a way, although sometimes we still have to cope with complex, complex things. Mm-hmm. But then I think that boundary between external and internal, it's needed yeah. Yeah. for each individual in a way. So I think that pause 
is a good feature for me that R can do for me. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Sure. This one. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Art Lives podcast. I am truly grateful to Lee Swan for talking to me. I have posted information about Lee Swan Su and links to her work on the Art Lives page of my website, elizabethdelamater.com. Please take a minute to rate Art Lives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. More ratings help more listeners listen to our podcast, which would be great. Special thanks to Bill Salick, artist Eduardo Moreno for our logo, and to composer Nicholas Myers for our theme music. And as always, thank you so much for listening to Art Lives. <laughs>